With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, we have a special guest with us today, Jason Potts, a lieutenant with Vallejo Police Department. Um, Jason, you guys in Vallejo have done some interesting things experimenting with ALPRs. So you want to tell us a little about that? Uh, yes, sir. So we partnered with a um, group called BetaGov um, to test the effectiveness of automatic license plate readers. So BetaGov is a nonprofit out of New York University, and they provide a um, academic uh, researcher who designs a study for us. So we wanted to see if our four um, vehicles that had our mobile license plate readers uh, were working. So we ran what they call a randomized control trial, which is unusual in policing for the most part. Mm -hmm. So we did it and we're pretty proud of the design, the simplicity of the design and its uh, ability to be replicated by other uh, agencies. Well, then maybe expand upon that. How would an agency go about, because my understanding, and forgive me if I'm misunderstanding, Mm -hmm. is that you had, uh, your control group was um, uh, vehicles with the ALPR turned off. So the alert alert was turned off. So what we did is we ran um, kind of a two-to-one randomization. So we had um, our AOPR intervention, which is the technology working with the alerts activated activated to alert the officers. The control was um, the other cars were not um, alerting the officers. They were alerting me. So Mm. what we're trying to do is um, establish, isolate the intervention, establish a causal effect. Um, Right. That's where the control is. So what we did is um, we found that obviously intuitively we, we know it's going to work, right? right. Um, but but you're using evidence-based policing exactly. to, to buttress what we know to be kind of anecdotal and experiential right. knowledge. Exactly. And Sherman discussed that in 1998. Lawrence Sherman, he discusses that policing should be, we should inform our decisions based on research and data. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially what evidence-based policing is. And there's all kinds of opportunities for that, right? There's hotspot policing, cognitive interviewing, all kinds of studies now. And evidence-based policing is picking up steam. And Professor Sherman was one of the uh, pioneers in that regard, as, long mm-hmm. as, as well as from a problem-oriented policing um, perspective, um, Herman Goldstein. Mm-hmm. And looking at things not as individuals, but clusters of problems and looking at the underlying issues. So we can talk about theft, but what kind of theft? And then copper theft. And okay, where is that copper theft? Okay, it's over here. And mm-hmm. who is buying the copper theft? So it's like, yeah. it's who a holistic approach, right? Yeah. So you're actually going after the problem. You're not just kind of surfacely looking at things individually. Yeah, and in a, you know, in, in another podcast uh, where we had you as a guest, we talked about Prop 47 yes. and the the interrelationship between mm-hmm. low-level theft and the use of illegal or, or even legalized now drugs—that right. uh, <clears throat> those two things are interconnected. You can't just ha- you can't just address one side of it. Uh, Jim, you, you, in your classes, how do you um, how do you discuss with your students uh, the evidence-based policing and the ways in which, like Jason um, and Vallejo PD, did their examination of these ALPRs? Right. So it's a it's a great way to teach the students concepts about why police do what they do, where they go, where they go. And uh, for for a liberal institution like the place I I teach at, um, you're in San Francisco after all, (laughs) in San Francisco. 
You know, you have um, critics of policing who say that police only uh, police minority communities, poor communities. And so it's a great opportunity to introduce to them uh, Comstat, mm -hmm. uh, crime mapping, um, to, to show that, hey, regardless of your socioeconomic uh, status, you are entitled to policing. And you want your police to be efficient and you want them to uh, be where the crime is happening. And you have to and fish not, where the fish are. Right. We're, we're not firefighters, right? Mm -hmm. We don't sit in a, in a house. And I think, I think that's the ultimate goal of, of some um, critics of police, that they'd love for police to sit in a house, a police house, yeah. police um, headquarters, and respond to 911 calls. And I think if we ever get to that point, we've lost the battle. And I'll just say something as well on top of that, as far as going back to evidence-based policing and what Lawrence Sherman did, he actually had a seminal paper in 2013 where he discusses a triple T approach. So what that is, is target, test, and track the data. Um, so to Jim's point, um, for you know our traditional method of policing was random patrol, rapid response, and reactive investigations. So what does that do? We're actually always behind the curve with the mm -hmm. other approach, targeting, testing, tracking the data. We're looking at the data, we're informing, we're having strategic decisions um, and we're informing our decisions based on research, based on mm -hmm. data, based on what works. These are these are really solid uh, strategies. And it's also in line with POP and Sarah. And some cops have heard of Sarah, that scan, analyze, respond, and assess. For, a lot of times in policing, we don't use the assessment. And that's mm -hmm. all, again, evidence-based policing is constantly looking at data, constantly evaluating and adjusting midstream. So there's all kinds of opportunities for policing um, with evidence-based policing. Yeah. And Experiential knowledge and knowing your beat, knowing the street, knowing the character, that's all well and good. I mean, that, that, there's, there is a place for, hey, I, I've hooked that guy up five times. I know what his wife's name is. I've been here. You know, that's really important. Um, I call that the craft of policing. Yes. That's huge. Right. And, and no, one, no one's suggesting that we ignore the craft of policing because instincts, mm -hmm. hunches, anecdotal experience, all the, you know, the... The folks that are that would say, "Hey, this is what why we should use evidence-based policing," but I also assert that we should use good instinctive policing. Yeah, no, totally. And when you, I, I heard you say um, gut feeling, yeah, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, nothing that's wrong with that. But policing. you, but I think the fault of the police is that we know what we know something's wrong, but we can't always articulate yes. it. Right. And so I don't think it's ever really a gut feeling. I think it is. A hot day and a guy's wearing a long jacket or he looks like he keeps checking something in his waistband that we see right. it and we know it, but we we don't necessarily articulate it in the police report. And I think evidence based policing helps by saying uh, these are successful cases when you do a thorough investigation uh, that if you do uh, thorough investigations at suspect who done it crimes that once a suspect is caught, they do better in court if you laid the groundwork the right way the first time. Right. In, in, in Left of Bang by uh, Van Horn and uh, great Riley, great, great book. I've read it three or four times. Mm -hmm. um, they talk about baselines and anomalies. Mm -hmm. you know, and they, and it's, it becomes abundantly clear when you really are honed in and you're really focused on your environment so vigilantly that you, you can pick up things automatically. You know, it's, it becomes kind of um, second nature or just part of it becomes breathing or having a heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have that Absolutely. Um, because that 
if you go to um, uh, Gavin De Becker in The Gift of Fear, mm-hmm. if you listen to that little voice that says something's wrong here, you're more than likely going to prevent a problem from happening. You stay left of bang. Um, but at the same time, there is, I think, an opportunity to link that up with or create a fabric of evidence-based policing, the data, the decisions based on information, raw, actual, tangible numbers, yeah. and that instinctive cop hinky, you know, right. hinky detector. I think the issue sometimes is there's an over-reliance on those um, instincts and hunches and anecdotal experiences. And sometimes people go, they ignore evidence-based policing, they say mm. it's just academic nonsense if you will or I was going to say BS right <laughs> so um, but there's there's something he said for it. there's parallels too with the medical field and that's where a lot of this comes right. from as well is that evidence-based policing is kind of grown out of the medical field and there's evidence-based medicine and you know they have their issues from right. what I've read in some research there's a lot of doctors that are against against evidence-based medicine because they know better it's you know but think about it because I've been doing this 20 years exactly evidence-based yeah. policing is really doing stuff that's less doing less harm Right. So you're basically doing, um, you're just thinking, what am I doing that's, am I creating more harm? So Scared Straight Program was a clear example of what um, evidence-based policing debunked the, the scared, scared Straight Program um, in that yep. respect. So Yeah, yeah and I, I think, not to work. I think going back to, to the, the public health um, version of uh, Sarah, actually I think we stole Sarah from, from health and um, epidemiology studies that showed uh, we have an injury or an illness or a death, and then we go back to the cause. That's evidence-based uh, research. And so that's translated pretty well, I think, into policing where we come up with traffic-related laws about helmets and mm-hmm. seat belts and booster seats and, and all of those things. So I think there, there are some real tangible results you can get from looking at problems and, and going backwards. Um, I can't, I, I can't wait till we can tie it into uh, gang injunctions. Operation Ceasefire out of Boston mm-hmm. was one of the earliest evidence-based policing uh, studies that brought in people from the medical field, brought probation, parole, the Board of Education, the mayor's office, uh, anybody and everybody who had anything to do with these young men that were killing each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting and waiting for that study to happen in Chicago, mm. where we've had last year 756 homicides, mostly young men. and uh, Mostly shooting at each other. Mostly shooting at each other. But I mean, it's not like an anomaly year. This is kind of the pattern. And I think we're on, on track, on pace to hit it again. So uh, Chicago, what's happening? Yeah. yeah, I this, guess they, they do some segment of that. They they call it pulling levers. I know that yeah. they've done stuff with David Kennedy over there in Chicago, and I know they've had some success. But back to evidence based policing is how do we know something works? We don't unless we test it, and that's yeah. that's what I would assert to most folks is that you need to figure out what what works or what doesn't based on testing and analyzing the data. And the one last thing in closing I want to point out is that you don't have to have a doctoral degree no, in no. order to be able to conduct a study. I mean, you can you can. Figure out a problem that you want to address, begin looking at numbers, collect the data. If you need to, get some assistance from some professor like Jim here yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and examine, and examine the problem holistically, yeah, right? And, you know, I think the big piece to that, I'll just leave with this, is that crime analysts. We need more crime analysts and we need to, you need to partner with your crime analysts and figure out from there. So um, we did what they call a practitioner-led, homegrown, randomized control trial. Mm-hmm. It didn't need to be lengthy. It was 75 days. 
we turned on some activations, we turned them off, and we just isolated the inter intervention. Yeah. And we found that uh, license plate readers worked um, better than the control group. We also found that there was 35% of all hits were misreads, mm -hmm. which was interesting for us. And we learned that um, 3.5, there was 3.5 more lost or stolen plate hits than there were stolen plates. Wow. Um, and that kind of had a desensitized effect on our officers where they would just ignore the lost or stolen plate hit. So they were looking at stolen plate hits, lost or stolen plate hits, and felony wants. And basically, there was only one outcome out of a lost or stolen plate hit, which we wouldn't have known if we wouldn't have ran, ran the study. Wow. The point is, you can do this too. Yes. If you are interested in this, you can send us an email. We can get you all kinds of information to get you started. Send us an email to policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Thanks again for listening.